Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. If you're a returning listener, thank you very much. And if you're new to the show, my name's Leanne Spencer. I'm the host. Uh, welcome. I hope you enjoy the show and I hope you visit some of the old episodes and um, pick up on everything we've been talking about and get real value from this. Now, my guest this week is the host of a podcast, a highly successful podcast. Uh, he's the author of three books and he's a familiar face for any of you that watch Sky Sports. Uh, where he frequently presents uh, the latest it's going on in the sporting world. Um, his name is Tony Vyton, and Tony and I spent uh, a little bit longer than our usual show length talking about all sorts of things. His journey to health, um, his experience of biohacking, and then we thrash out whether or not we really like that term. But we talk about recovery, we talk about some of the challenges that he's faced with his health, how he achieves consistency. Uh, we touch on some of the things that, that Tony does to, to stay well and to stay healthy as well. And we talk a bit about what we think the next big thing is in the health, fitness and well-being spaces and what's undervalued at the moment and some ideas that he's got as well. So it's a really cracking show. Um, Tony's uh, contact details are all linked to in the show notes, but his website is TonyWrighton.com. That's T-O-N-Y-W-R-I-G-H-T-O-N, TonyWrighton.com. And his podcast is Estology, and I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Here's Tony Wrighton. Enjoy the show. So, Tony, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, we're really looking forward to it. Oh, actually, I forgot to ask you. I might want to use the audio for this on my podcast as well. Is that okay? <laughs> you asked me now we're recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't <laughs> yes, really say no. It is. No, I can't. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to. Yeah, absolutely fine. <laughs> okay. That's cool. Um, great. Well, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Uh, we've got to know each other a little bit, a uh, very little bit, and uh, just before we hit record. But let's start here then. What's your, your journey been to, to kind of the biohacker and health interest and mm. everything else? Normally, there's some sort of moment of epiphany or a build-up and there's epi- epiphanic moment. But I've done a bit of research online and I can't find yeah. out much about your background. So oh, can can't you? Give us yeah. a little bit of a... Well... Well, not, not, not too much. Yeah. I know you had a, a virus. Yes, I did, yeah. yeah. Post-party generation, that's what it's all about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> takes one to know one. It does indeed. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of lived life at a million miles an hour and was working at Sky and also writing books based on NLP. And then um, got this terrible tropical virus and woke up one day in the Philippines and uh, had a rash and numb patches on my face which is very serious you know when you when you get numb patches on your face the first thing you have to do mm. is you know go and see if you've had a stroke yeah um, and it wasn't that thankfully um, but it, it ended up meaning that I had three months pretty much in bed and off work and not knowing if I'd ever get back to full fitness and consulting Dr. Google about uh, 12 <laughs> hours a day and I think, you know, I tend to be very, um, I tend towards the overstimulated anyway. And I'm quite practical. I'm quite left brain. And I like to find solutions to things. So if there's a problem, I'll find a solution. But I couldn't find a solution to this. And actually, it was all about letting go and accepting and surrendering and chilling out and just doing less. Mm. Um, so once I started to realize that, and there were a few things along the way that helped me, then I started to kind of get on the mend and I thought if I ever get back to full fitness it'd be great to do a podcast on energy because having done so much googling I know there's loads of other people who've got a problem with energy whether it's a really bad case or three months off work or just waking up in the morning and feeling a bit sluggish yeah 
And how long, how long ago was this? Uh, about four years ago. Okay, so and you're how old now? 43. Okay, so yeah. yeah, similar age to me. Okay, so what was the first thing you did when you got back? I like the way you're, long... you're it's almost like um, I'm in the uh, doctor's office here. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, okay, we'll, uh, we'll analyze this yeah. a little bit further. Well, Tell me a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> um, a similar age, similar story in some respects, but I didn't wake up in, in the Philippines with a virus. But how long were you out there for? What, what, was, what happened with you? With me? Turning the t- interviewer turning yeah, the tables. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, my epi- very briefly, my um, I kind of remember epiphany. There were a couple. My brother went to hospital with what was we now mm. found out to be alcohol-induced seizures. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I went online and, and looked at all the symptoms of alcoholism, all the, the alcohol checklist that they give you. You know, do you shake in the morning? Do you get ratty if there's no alcohol about? Do you tend to drink before you go? All this kind of stuff. And I was yes, 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 yes. yes. Right. So um, and I gave up then for eight months. I subsequently gave up for six months and then in 1st of April 2012 gave up for good mm. um, but it's a long long a much bigger backstory yes. but I heard you mention um, that on your podcast with Nick as yeah, well yeah. yeah I touched on it then so yeah. that's when I, I kind of said you know enough's enough and, and, and changed my yeah wow um, over the period of six years some quite quite what's ended up being dramatic changes as it may be the case with you but small things yes one at a time yeah it's very much been it um how long were you out in the Philippines for sick? Did you come back here and recuperate or were you, you stuck out there? Yeah, I came home. So I was like, uh, I went to the doctor and he said, you've got, I think he said you've got measles. Right. <laughs> you know, I'd had measles and I mean, it was just all a bit chaotic, but he could tell I'd had a, a virus from my red blood count. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm coming straight home. I think I gave it 24 hours. And the rash spread and the headache got worse and all this kind of thing. I went to see neurologists in, in the UK and they said, you're fine, you've had a virus, we know that. But, you know, it's sometimes these headaches come and it's a post-viral um, reaction. Mm. Uh, so the kind of initial symptoms went away. But then I was kind of overtaken by this feeling of lethargy and the numb patches got worse. Mm. Mm. Cool. So how did, you, how did you recover? What kind of things did you do? Well, it was a real turning point, actually. I went to, um, I've always, I've, I've trained in NLP for the last 10 years or so, and you know, first became an NLP practitioner, and then a master practitioner, and then a trainer of NLP. And it was, it was so annoying to me that the, the skills of NLP, which had served me so well, couldn't heal me totally. Mm. They helped a little bit. They helped alleviate some of the symptoms and the kind of anxiety that was caused by the fact that I didn't know what the hell was going on. But it was just so annoying that they weren't, completely solving it. So eventually, um, I found this guy online who was a specialist in uh, NLP and fatigue and tapping. So emotional freedom therapy. And I was like, well, I think I've got some kind of fatigue related symptom and I'm into NLP and I don't care at all about that tapping bit, but whatever, I'll I'll, I'll suck it up because it sounds like he might be quite good. Mm. Went to see him and that was the kind of epiphany moment if you like you know within 10 minutes of having been in there he was tapping all over my face and kind of upper chest and don't mind saying I was in floods of tears and it felt like this real kind of emotional and physical release and I kind of knew that I was going to be okay I knew I I wasn't going to walk out there and be absolutely fine but it was so incredible he was like this has been happening and this and specific events or just uh, you had a period of trauma or um, was he able to isolate something more specific? He was able to specifically 
not specific events, but he, he was able to identify with the experience that I'd been having. Right. Yeah. And, and as he went on, I kind of realised that the way that I'd been thinking had been playing such a massive role in not helping me get better. Mm. You know, explained about the sympathetic nervous system and he explained about how overstimulated I'd been and how I wasn't allowing my body to recover. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's a hard thing for someone who's ill to come to terms with the fact that you might be partly responsible for your illness. Mm. I had physical symptoms, you know, really sore parts of my body, like numb patches on my face. There's no denying that. And, and yet my brain was helping perpetuate those symptoms. Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it? Really <laughs> fascinating. That connection yeah. between mental and physical health. And I've blogged about it very recently, which I'll link to in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but the way that the, almost we expect that, that physical symptoms will be listened to and that's a recognized sign of disease mm. by others and by ourselves. So the brain thinks, okay, fine. If you're not listening to, to the emotional pain that I'm in or the mental trauma, whatever it is, I'll manifest with physical symptoms and you'll listen to that. Now, whether or not that's the actual conversation is yeah. the brain's having with itself, but essentially I think that's the message. Yeah. So, so he was making the connection then between the overstimulation from partying, mm. from stress, from, from whatever it was. It's all yeah. physiological stress for the body, isn't it? To, um, to the virus or the symptoms that you were currently having. Um, yeah, and to my reaction to dealing system. with it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, I mean, just a little example. And what was so brilliant is the fact that he dealt with so many other people who had gone through something similar. It might not have been, you know, got a virus in the Philippines, but it might be, oh, well, you know, um, symptoms that are more commonly called ME or fibromyalgia or something like mm. that. And, and I said to him, you know, I haven't been doing very much walking because I went to see this immunologist who said I should like, you know, only do a certain amount of steps per day and, you know, only hardly any exercise. And he said, you know what, I would just forget about that because it's just another thing to worry about. Mm. And I left his office and I walked three times as far as I'd walked for the last three weeks and felt so good afterwards. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like I was healed. Um, it was, I'd say it was, you know, it was another year before I was totally back to my kind of physical best mm. but um but that was the start of the process yeah mm. okay um and tell me more about the tapping because i'm really interested in that what's yeah. what's the science behind it what's the what, what's it all about yeah and that's and that's the other thing that i found so hard i you know we already mentioned left brain i've been thinking quite a lot about left brain right brain recently i, I tend to really like things that can be scientifically proven mm. show me the research and I don't necessarily buy very much into kind of airy-fairy concepts that you can't pin down. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's why I wasn't into the tapping. Oh, it's yet another. You know, I mean, I've always thought that about Reiki. I've never tried it. It might be amazing. You know, I do a podcast on energy. I need to try it. Hmm. But um, that's what I thought about the tapping as well. The theory behind tapping is that it's um, based on between 10 and 15 energy points around the body that are closest to the skin that relate to acupuncture uh, pressure points and energy points. Yeah. And by stimulating those uh, energy points whilst connecting with the trauma or grief or sadness or fear or anxiety that you're feeling, you, you can start to connect with it right. and then release it. So that's the basic theory. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, now the, the other thing you, you mentioned, you mentioned the tapping. What, were the other, what was the other thing that... Um, 
so there was tapping, there was meditation, there was diet, there was yeah. kind of loads of stuff. There that was something of... else. It's, it's jumped out of my head now. Um, okay. So basically they put together, it'll come back to me. Yeah. So he put together a kind of recovery program for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, he, 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 I mean, it was quite simple, really. Every time I started worrying about my health, I had a, like a simple kind of process to go through. Mm. And you would not believe how often I was thinking about it. Like it was every couple of minutes. Right. And it was, it was, inter it was a pattern interrupt on the brain. So I was like, stop. Now I'm actually just going to trust, trust the process and I'm all right right now. And you know, my brain was like, you know when, you, when something happens that's bad and you're thinking about it all the time? I was like that for three months. Yeah. So it's hardly surprising that I couldn't relax. Yeah. I was sleeping, you know, nine hours a night and I wasn't getting any good quality yeah, no kind rest. of healing time. So, <clears throat> so yeah, that's, that's kind of what he did. I know what I was going to mention now. So the, yeah. uh, the connection between NLP, mm. um, what, what is that connection? Because that I'm surprised by that, but I don't know much about NLP. So tell yeah. me more about that. Well, NLP is a um, <clears throat> set of processes uh, that help you manage your moods and help you communicate with yourself and other people. Um, it's used a lot in therapy, uh, in sales, um, in advertising. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets a bad name because it has often been used in the past by the seduction community. Oh, really? <laughs> um, because these, because especially some of the language skills are very powerful. Mm. You know, the, la la the, the way that we talk to ourselves and other people, um, you can, you know, by putting a little bit more thought into how you express yourself, you can become a lot more persuasive to yourself and other people. Mm. So that's where the kind of language part of it came in the linguistic part of it I think the way that I was talking to myself was so overwhelmingly negative and so overwhelmingly based around worry and anxiety and symptoms that mm. yeah and if you is that reversed or is that still something you manage because we've all have that negative self-talk don't we like oh I don't do yeah, uh, yeah a little a bit yeah yeah no I don't I mean I don't do that process that he he taught me now and that's a specific process based around people who have suffered kind of some kind of fatigue related illness mm. um, but uh, yeah I definitely I, I know that I'm not someone who's it, you know sometimes it, I'm not particularly carefree by nature um, I like to dwell on things and I'm a bit of a perfectionist mm. and I like to worry about things and study them until I get them right which I think actually has helped me in many ways helped me you know, probably get the job that I've got at Sky, for example, that mm. I've just really put my mind to it. Wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna leave it until I got it. But um, yeah, in terms of anxiety levels or just chilling out a little bit more, that is mm. definitely something I'll work on. And now I use different techniques. Such as? Meditation. Yeah. Every morning. And I, I was doing meditation before, but in NLP we don't call it meditation, we call it self-hypnosis, which is just slightly oh, really? different, but it's the same kind of thing. He yeah, has a brilliant um, self-hypnosis technique called the Betty Erickson technique. So Betty Erickson was the wife of Dr. Milton Erickson, who is the kind of the, the, the father of hypnosis. But my favorite hypnosis technique is, is her one. Um, and it is, it's so simple. It's just bringing all your attention external. So you focus on three things that you can see. So it might be the, the color of your jumper, and your magnificently styled mane, <laughs> which I've already been admiring, I should, should point out before we started this, um, and, the color, and the slightly gray color of the sky. And then three yeah. things that you can hear, so maybe the sound of my voice and the traffic outside and 
just a little the, the hum of the Wi-Fi in the background and, and three things I can feel so maybe the temperature of the air on my skin and the chair beneath me and my feet on the ground mm. you carry on doing that for a certain amount of time you those all those worries those anxieties or, or whatever you're thinking about whether it's you know what to put on the shopping list for tomorrow they yeah. start to go away yeah which is really effective it's a great way to go to sleep as well yeah I guess it's taking you out of self isn't it mm. rather than you know what if should I you know. yeah um, it's interesting you mentioned perfectionism do you know the work you must know the work of Dr Brené Brown I would have thought so shame researcher yeah um, has done so much around perfectionism and when I read her book Daring Greatly a year 18 months ago um, that was a real eye-opener for me because prior to that I would have said I was a perfectionist you know because I thought mm. that was a badge of honor I do things well you can leave that with me and you know it will be right. done perfectly yeah. whatever that means um, and then she pointed out that that actually it's just a mask for shame you know if you strive for perfectionism it's actually yeah. masking a, a deep perhaps deep-rooted or, or an insecurity around is this right is it good enough and all that kind of thing and actually mm. perfectionism is just a big old shield we put in front of that um, to mask us from shame and that was really interesting and I've stopped calling myself a perfectionist yeah. now and it's a hiding to nothing and you know, having had burnout and helping working with people who are on the burnout spectrum to various levels um, perfectionism is is not a good thing you know, striving for perfectionism is hiding to nothing it's like mm. it's Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill and rolling back to the bottom again almost it's just you're not going to get to that end goal it's what, what is perfect and I think Liz Gilbert also do you know much about her she wrote Eat, no. Pray, Love. Oh, right, um, yes, Eat, Pray, Love. But, yeah. um, Some of my mates have <coughs> rather unkindly suggested that I should write Eat, Pray, Love because <laughs> I, I lived in Venice, uh, in uh, Florence for a while in, in Italy and I, and I was in Bali last year. <laughs> well, it was hugely successful. I don't know how many million copies it sold, <laughs> yeah, well, but that. it's a lot. Yeah. So uh, if you give me the mail, Liz Gilbert, um, who no, knows? I still don't really want to be the mail, Liz Gilbert. Okay, but well, anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll move on yeah. slightly because I'm still talking about her. Yeah, yeah. Um, she also talks about fear being a, a blocker for creativity and, and no good things come mm. from um, perfectionism which is fear in essence mm. um, yeah, and, and that was I think her work is really interesting in that area as well um, I think that's so interesting I've been giving that a lot of thought recently and Faith my girlfriend and I've been talking about it a lot we mm. had this talk last night and you know she was saying you know it's great to rely on your gut and on your intuition I was like no it's not so often intuition gives me a wrong answer you know, I like logic and reason and making a list of pros and cons. And actually, the answer is somewhere in the middle, yeah. isn't it? And that's, yeah. that's why I mentioned left brain and right brain, because I was just doing a bit of research in that this morning, because I thought it was really interesting. You know, we, we come from two di very different sides of you, what to trust when we make decisions. Mm. Um, I would say that some of the most successful, successful people that I know, people who've risen to the top of their professions, who who are kind of living their purpose, so to speak, I would say they would tend towards the perfectionist. Mm. Yeah. Now, whether they are successful in every area and whether they're happy at the same time, I, I'm not sure. Mm. You know, sometimes that perfectionism actually is just, uh, it's just miserable. Yeah. Because you, you're checking Twitter at three o'clock in the morning to see if there's a story you should react to, for example, mm. if you're a journalist. But, um, but finally, I could probably move slightly the other way. Less perfectionism, more intuition mm. and that's something that I've been considering working on so what are you considering trusting I mean, how would you go about that? trusting my intuition and gut more mm. and I think you know I mean stuff like meditation and emotional freedom therapy tapping I think that massively helps you get in touch with the right brain with the intuition you know I find mm. it I'm not particularly good at making decisions 
because I like the decision to be the right decision. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, as I say, I think that's really helped in some ways. But mm. actually, it means that you spend a long time on something that might not be very important. Mm. That is the downside. I'm just changing my website at the moment. And I'm like, it doesn't even matter that much. But I just can't make up my mind. Mm. <laughs> There's an expression I heard in the context of just publishing content, just get it out, which is prolific beats perfect. Which is not to say right. you can publish an article on LinkedIn or, a, or an actual book yeah. full of typos yeah. or misquoted research or whatever it is, but, but just getting stuff out there that can then be edited perhaps, or just, you know, yeah. good enough, out, good enough, out. I think it's quite, it was, it was quite liberating for me that yeah. someone that did like to sort of, in some respects of my life anyway, you know, carve away and make it near to perfect. You know, like, I, I mean, I, an example for me is, I've obviously got a podcast as well, mm. and I worked in radio for 10 years, and I, and I love the process of creating audio, and it's something that I kind of, I feel like I'm good at it, you know, I can hear when something's good or when something's not. And if there's something that's not right on my podcast, but then I notice it after it's been published, I just, I'm, I'm livid about it. <laughs> I can't rest until I've got it re-edited, you know, mm. and got it right. <laughs> I, I do sometimes listen back to stuff and, and think that as well. But the beauty, I think, of audio is that well, you can continually replay it. Yeah. But that takes a long time to continually reread a paragraph and craft and hone. Yes. Can be done, you can diagonalise over that you know, many mm. iterations, can't you? Before you click send or publish, whereas mm. with audio, you know, the conversation's been had. It's difficult to change. It, you've got to just go with it. You yeah. know, yes, you can re-record elements of audio, but yeah. it's trickier, it's yeah. more time consuming. And I guess for someone with that kind of temperament, maybe <laughs> audio is the best means. Yeah. yeah. But, you've, it, it, but it, you've written three books though. So how did that, tell uh, us a bit about that process. Yeah. So I, I was always a broadcaster, you know, I worked in radio for 10 years and then I've worked in TV for about 10 years. And um, while I was a radio presenter, I always kind of wanted to move into TV, partly because you know, being a regional radio presenter is, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's not particularly challenging, but it does get a little bit soul destroying playing take that day after day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I felt like I'd kind of reached the end of the road with my my regional uh, 80s 90s and now was the music that we played right. on Century FM in Manchester which was you know one of the best times of my life yeah then then I got the job at Sky but always on the side I was doing the NLP uh, audiobooks which right. started to do very well on iTunes and is this the in a minute uh, no that was the that was the okay, book that's... deal so to the okay. audiobooks were like half an hour long pretty basic um, half an hour often with some self-hypnosis in there like a, a self-hypnosis download and people could listen to them, and really, it's like a meditation. And they're still out there. You can still get them on iTunes, and yeah, I'll link to them. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and uh, and I got the book deal on the strength of them. So because Virgin Books had seen that the audiobooks were doing quite well, then they gave me the books. Right. So they approached you, did they? Uh, I'm not. I'm not actually quite sure of the process. I've got a literary agent who, I think, he spoke to them and someone else. It wasn't. You know, that probably makes it sound slightly more important and a bigger deal than it was, but. Um, I must say there was quite a few frustrations with, with writing those books, which is, you know, we're recording a podcast right now. It's so new media. You know, you're in complete yeah. control of what you do. Yeah. And <laughs> we're talking about the left brain and the right brain in control again, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, aren't we? But um, with, with the books, they told me what the titles of the books were. They designed the covers of the books. 
you know, the very rigorous ed editing process, which actually was fantastic. I learned mm. a lot about the process of writing a book. But, um, but yeah, they're pretty full on. So they, do they even guide you on the messages? They, I guess they do. They've got a message they want you to write around, or is it not? Um, the, not exactly. And with, well, I, I picked the topics of the books, but then they were like, okay, we would really like you to call it this, and we think this would really work. You know, they, they never said, you've got to do this. But they always said, we think this is the right decision. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're the experts, and, and that's fine. Yeah. And ultimately, they're not going to publish something they're not happy with. I think that is the typical publishing experience, though, isn't it? Yeah. If, you, if your message is right, then they will tell you what... You, know, you write the words, but this is what's going to match the market. I'm thinking of writing a book, the working title of which, and that's literally all I have got, a working yeah. title, Slaying the Princess. Change, how yeah. well we need to change the messages we give our young children. Right. And um, I, I mooted it with someone I published my two books with, which was Hybrid Publishing. Yeah. And she said, well, it's topical because people are interested in that kind of stuff and gender is very big. But, you know, they will tell you the kind of con the kind of content loosely that yeah. they want, the message. And you and you'll be given that to kind of write around. So it's I think that's the kind of typical publishing. Process. I think so. Yeah. You know, that well, kind of you've just given me your second work. book, which I'm really excited about reading. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah a pleasure. So, I mean. One of the interesting things about books is, you know, and actually I'm, I'm speaking to my literary agent, uh, said those two words again in the same order, um, later today, but I'm, and he's quite keen to kind of, he said, oh, I've spoken to a publishing company who are interested, and he's a great guy, he's a brilliant agent, but I'm kind of thinking, I'm not sure if my message is best served by writing another book. Six months of pain of writing a book, and it is, a, you know, as you know, it's a yeah. long and involved process. Yeah. And then I've got so little control over the process that it might tank or it might not. Whereas there's so many other things I could do: podcast, audiobook, mm. online program, new website. With six months of effort, is there some other way that I could get yeah. those messages to more people? Well, video. I don't know if it's, yeah. Video as video. well. Video. Yeah. Um, oh, do you read books? Oh, I love books. Right. Is it? Yeah. Uh, I, hope you, I hope you're all appreciating yeah, the colour color coding. Books. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, there's, there's a bit of a reason. So basically, I, I went to a restaurant at the end of this road, actually, and it's called Restaurant Story. And they've got this thing where you can bring a book and then you can take another book. Um, it's quite a nice idea, That's actually. A great idea. And, you know, people write little messages in the book. And their, their, their um, bookshelves were all colour coded and I thought I'm going to go home and do that as well. It was a happy couple of hours but because we're right next to the window and believe it or not it is sometimes sunny in here a lot of them have just kind of lost their colour and just kind of faded to kind of indeterminate blue. Yeah. Um, oh I see that's why. Yeah maybe well, yeah, yeah. You know the luxury of, of me doing a sort of an hour's podcast as opposed to 30 minutes is we can talk yeah. about lots of stuff. Yes. What books would you recommend to people? And bear in mind the kind of the busy professional who oh. listens to this that has got a leaning towards health fitness nutrition but yeah. anything that you think I'm just Paolo Coelho there if I pronounce that right. Yeah. Um, I mean you've got me on one of my favourite subjects. I love reading books. Yeah, I, and I, I do. And do you? Mm. Yeah. I read English at uni and we've got oh, a house did you? full of books. Oh me too. Did you? Where? Well, at Warwick University. Oh, okay. Bangor, North Wales. Right. Uh, funnily enough, though, I was never that into reading books at university. I just was out to, into kind of going out and partying. Really. Eight but, hours um, lectures a week? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. why you read yeah. English Lit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, do you know, it's funny because actually I think that I, I love reading non-fiction, but I can find it quite hard going sometimes. Mm. I love reading fiction simply because I think it's one of the things that I find relaxes me most. And in my experience, it's one of the things that 
relaxes almost everyone the most. But in this day and age, we read less fiction than ever before yeah. because we've got more distraction. Yeah. Um, so I love recommending fiction books. I'm a really big fan of historical fiction myself. And uh, at the moment, I'm reading Ken Follett, mm -hmm. who is fantastic. He he's written this century trilogy about uh, uh, before and during the First World War, before and during the Second World War, and then kind of post-war, so kind of Kennedy and the Cuban crisis and the uh, Berlin Wall. Oh, they span the world and they're really long. And once you've started reading, you think, oh, this is great. Um, so yeah, those are the ones I'm reading at the moment. I'd definitely give them a four and a half out of five. Oh. Hilary Mantel, if you read any of her the historical what? novels. Wolf Hall is brilliant. I might sound like a bit of a Luddite now, but I got a bit stuck on Wolf Hall. Did you? I, I, I might need to try it again. Of, yeah, I did. Do you think I should give it another go? Yeah. A moment where you think, oh, I really fancy, not literally, Hilary Mantel. Literally as well, maybe. Well, whatever. Does Faith listen to the podcast? Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so I had to do that with Sebastian Folk's Third Song, which you know, it turned oh. out to be one of the best yeah. books I've ever read. Yeah, and I'd agree. And Wolf Hall, I had to go back. I got halfway through and just thought it was quite, I don't know, heavy. I went back and, and loved it. I'm glad that you said Sebastian Falks because I also would class that as one of my favourite books yeah. ever, Birdsong. Well, all, all his yeah. books, I think, are absolutely brilliant. What about something in kind of the health fitness area? You've got JJ Virgin there. This is really good. Um, the Art of Learning by Josh Waitskin. And actually, if you if you look through it, you'll see that I've got like loads of pages turned down. I've also got it on uh, Kindle as well, where I've made loads of notes. Cool. And um, not heard of it. He yeah. it's so good. Yeah, it, okay. he's a he was a chess champion as a child, and the film Searching for Bobby Fischer was about him. Yeah. And then he got to kind of eighteen, nineteen years old, and he was like, I'm just can't be bothered to play chess anymore. And went travelling for a couple of years, and then one day turned up at this. Tai Chi uh, workshop in New York and then he became a Tai Chi expert as well and he became a national champion in Tai Chi hmm. and the book is the story of um, how he became a success at chess how he became a success at Tai Chi two really different disciplines one mental and one physical but how the process of learning both those skills was exactly the same oh, that's interesting. and the essential method uh, message if I could distill it down to one paragraph is all about depth hmm. you know we talk about more distractions than ever before he says if you want to learn something you have to immerse it and he says you can either kind of play around in the shallows in the in the shallows and the ripples or you can go really deep and immerse yourself in a subject and he says he would spend hours at a time thinking about a particular chess move and that was when he had such some of his greatest insights hmm. and it's a beautifully written book and for someone who's got a limited attention span it's a great story as well which I find, you know, any non-fiction book, it really helps if there's a rollicking yeah. good story at the same time. Yeah, yeah, mm. I agree. And most of my reading now is, is non-fiction, interspersed with, with bits of fiction. Mm. Um, but I, got, I was in a, at a phase of reading just lots of business books, lots of non-fiction books, yeah. and you do get a bit, especially when all I listen to, I've always got the Bose Noise Cancelling headphones on, piping through podcasts, your podcast, hey. Astrology, um, oh, ben Greenfield, yeah, yeah. Uh, who else? I've got about seven or eight the yeah. boxing podcasts from the BBC, a whole mixture. I like mostly, a bit of boxing as well, I do you? like a bit yeah. of boxing, yeah. Um, mostly they're, they're kind of health, fitness, nutritional, yes. well-being related podcasts. And when you're reading it and you're listening to it, sometimes you just break out and you know read a bit of fiction. So yeah. I try and balance maybe three non-fictions to a fictional book, but it isn't that regimented. It sounds um, to me like you and I could have a bit of a book geek out. We could. Because... Wolf Hall is actually historical fiction, isn't yeah. it? 
It and is, Sebastian yeah. Falks is definitely. Yeah. I've read every single one. They're every all about single the book war, he's written. I think. Yeah. Um, oh, you're going to love Ken Follett. I'll try. Oh, yeah. Well, let's. We'll pick if up. If historical the fiction could be slightly trashy, <laughs> that's how I would describe it. You know, I, <laughs> I, I. When you said I can see the book covers, and that yeah. is, yeah, on that sort of that end of the histor. I, yeah. I think if you suggested or what I suggested, Sebastian Folks and Ken Follett were like. He would have Sebastian Folks would have something to say about it, but do you think? You know, yeah, possibly. possibly. Yeah, that I don't know. Yeah, um, do you know? I, I, at the end of my podcast, I asked people a book that they would recommend, and there's one book that's come up so many more times than any other. And Esther Perel said it last week, and it Man was Search uh, Man Meaning. Search for Meaning. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. yeah, it comes up a lot. Um, yeah. I've read it, and I wasn't bowled over, which I know will sound a bit ignorant. Um, I was bowled over by his experience, and there yeah. were a couple of pieces that really stood out but I think it was one of those where everyone, a lot of people have mentioned it mm. and then you read it and you think wow I mean it was incredible um, you read it and you think wow I know I know can it have been that bad I know it's <laughs> no, no not the experience <laughs> but just in terms of it being the best yeah. book that people have read yeah that's what I mean for a minute suggesting no I know you know I anything yeah. else but um, course, yeah yeah, I mean, I don't know what how I'd ask that question at best book I've read. I can never think of. Yeah, well, what the, 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 head, the question I ask is, what is one book that you would recommend? Mm. And you know, it's often, sometimes, if I have forgotten to tell people in advance that I ask that question, they can be a bit thrown. So I can say, look, it's, it's anything. You know, it, it might be the book you're reading at the moment, or it might be a fiction book or an unfiction book. Mm. But you know, but that's the one that seems to have an impact with a lot of people. I've been meaning to read it again because um, I actually think it goes back to that same theme of left brain right brain you know accepting what you can't control yeah and looking you know focusing on what you can but then the, the theme of acceptance is a strong one for me and, yeah. I, and I feel like I might learn something by reading it again it's very short as well isn't it yeah it is short yeah mm. and what's helped me to to have let go a little bit and, and relinquish a certain amount of control is meditation which you mm. talked about mm. what's your practice well my practice is um, 10 minutes a day in the morning mm-hmm. simple as that Right. Do you use an app or? No. Or not? No, I use, you know, a kind of fairly, ba- I do a few different types of meditation, but um, transcendental, so, you know, repeating a mantra. And I think I mentioned briefly, I went to uh, Dave Asprey's 40 Years of Zen kind of medita- meditation retreat in Seattle mm. uh, about a year, year and a bit ago. And they attach these electrodes to your head which read your brain waves. So what beta waves you're making, what alpha waves and what theta waves and so on. So they can literally tell what different types of meditation are working best. That's incredible. And then they can induce deeper states yeah. by playing different sounds in your ear. So you, it's, it's a little bit like Pavlov's dogs. Once you've started using it for a while, the more that you meditate deeply, the more you'll get a certain sound played in your ear and the more that your brain starts to react to it at an unconscious level to meditate even deeper, right. which is crazy. So by the start of the week and the end of the week, you can tell that you're meditating much deeper and so on. Yeah. And they found, they find there that there's one type of meditation practice that most people react to better than any other and go deeper in than any other. And that's a really simple gratitude practice. So just you know, re- focusing on what you're grateful for. And thinking about and, and even if something pops into your head that's not necessarily related to the meditation mm. focusing on how you're grateful for that thing that's popped into your head that's interesting mm. I um, do you do do you practice that now do you think a lot about gratitude and things well like that as, as a meditation practice sometimes 
So I'd say 60% of the time, 70% of the time, it's a transcendental kind of repeating a mantra. Mm. And then about 15% of the time, it's gratitude. And 15%, depending on my mood, 15% of the time, it's a, it's a, um, it's a kind of uh, detached observer meditation. So mm. you, it's almost like you're watching yourself and you're noticing the thoughts that come in and you're noticing how quickly they leave and, and come in. And you might tell yourself something like, that too shall pass. So it kind of, it, I like it because it reminds you of the impermanence of good thoughts yeah. and good things and bad things as yeah. well. So it reminds you to be grateful for the good stuff and it reminds you that the bad stuff won't be there for that long because that too shall pass. Yeah. I mm. think um, for me, I mean, what I love with, with gratitude is, is Tony Robbins, I don't know if we've said this as well, but you can't be angry and grateful simultaneously. So if you are in yeah. grateful state and you're practicing gratitude, the anger, the resentment, the jealousy, what other more negative emotions simply can't be present. It's not yeah. possible to be in those two states at the same time. Yeah. I tried doing gratitude and I tried um, just making a note of three things I was grateful for at the end of the day. And mm. I found, if I'm honest, that I was feeling cats, sunlight, oh, I don't know, health. So I could yeah. get on with reading my 20 minutes yes. of fiction and going to sleep. So yeah. I thought, well, this is, you're, you're being very glib about this. Um, and then we were, we were training for the Arctic Circle race. Oh, which what's is, that? Um, it's 160 kilometres across the Arctic and it's going, it's taking place next month, but we're doing it in 2019. No way, that's so um, cool. Yeah, and we're practising on roller skis in Dulwich Park. So we're roller so skiing. You're so you ski? You, well, we will be, yeah. It, it, in in 2019, yeah. across the Arctic? 160 kilometres across. No way. Yeah, that's so cool. It is going to be cool. We're raising money for Alzheimer's research, which wow. we were talking oh, about awesome. before we, yeah. we hit record. Yeah. So we were going. Uh, we were. We were. We had a lesson. We've got an Olympian who's out in Korea at the moment doing the commentary. Um, Posey Musgrave, and she's teaching us. And I looked up. And we're coming to the end of a lesson. And I finally, I don't feel like Bambi. Uh, you know, on these these roller skis, and it only really elevated by an inch and a half, two inches, but it just yeah. feels a bit like. Can I not just yes. walk? And I looked up, and the sky is blue, and it's, the dusk is falling, and the the, the trees with their yeah you know, without their leaves are juxtaposing it. This blue sky. We've mm. got an Olympian training. It's going to do this incredible event next year. Mm. A real moment of gratitude, which I shared with Posey and Antonia, yes. and that, and I realised that that is gratitude. It's not something that you tweely do at the end of a day. It's just mm. recognising things for which you're grateful for. But every now and again, being mindful and being present and thinking, mm. oh, that's amazing. How fortunate we are to live in the city of London, to have been born in this country. That, that kind of gratitude yes. and that's what's worked for me rather than a, a sit down at the end of the day and, yeah. and write down the three things but it's horses for courses it's whatever works yeah. for anyone but I think yeah you can force it in, as well I think but, yeah. Um, yeah, but I yeah, think you can. It's, it's whatever works for you as well yeah and it takes you out of self doesn't it so if you're thinking about what you're grateful for I suppose it is still about you well that's going to take you out of self skiing across the Arctic yes well I'm sure it? we'll have moments where we, we that's amazing yeah it is going to be incredible yeah um, we've got a big financial target of 10k yeah. Um, that we've got a long way to go towards, <laughs> but we've got a year. Um, meditation. Uh, I listened to the podcast you recorded while you were out in Asia. Oh uh, yeah. Because you did. Yes. Can you share with us? Yeah. You did a day or two. Day, no, it was two days, wasn't it? We well, it was. We like to call it three days, two nights. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but it was supposed to be four days, three nights. So yeah, me and my girlfriend were in uh, Asia in January. We had the whole of January in Asia. And we decided that we didn't just want to have fun. We wanted to take some courses and you know learn some stuff and also chill out and have a really great time. So we thought, what's the most adventurous kind of meditation thing we can do? Um, there are various meditation retreats that you can do in uh, Northern Thailand. But we went to this um, monastery on the Burmese border. And you can't book it. 
you, uh, you know very little about it before you turn up. So we, we just turned up, we didn't know, really know what we were doing. And they were so lovely and they said, yeah, it's fine. And we knew that you had to wear all white. We said, look, we haven't got all white clothes. Don't worry about it, you can borrow everything you need. It's all free as well. Um, and it was a Buddhist monastery where they geared up towards Westerners and Thai people coming in and learning to meditate. Um, and I was sharing a room with five other guys, wasn't allowed to share the same room as Faith. And I had to wear all white. We went to bed at eight o'clock in the evening. We got up at five in the morning to feed the monks. Um, to feed the monks? To you feed the monks, them? yeah. Um, yeah, so Buddhist monks are not allowed to feed themselves. It's one of the kind of rules that they have. They, so twice a day, traditionally in the village, the whole village would turn out and give them food. Right. And then they would take it home and they would eat the, they would eat the food in that tradition. And that is part of the Buddhist tradition now. Mm. So we would all have some rice and they would walk around with their pot and we'd give them the rice. Um, fascinating to learn all these traditions. Yeah. You know, and then the first, and then we would eat ourselves, only two meals a day at six and 11. Um, and then you don't eat after midday and long periods of silence throughout the day. It was, you know, the meditation aspect of it was so tough. Mm. Um, it wasn't totally silent, but it was largely silent. Um, where we struggled with it was, as well as the meditation, it was, it was quite religious, you know, I mean, it was a Buddhist monastery after all. And quite a few people have said to me since I'm back, well, mate, you did go to a monastery. You should have probably known. Yeah. Um, I think they've got a good point. Mm. Uh, it did feel quite like I was playing at being a Buddhist at times, yeah. which, which didn't quite feel right. Yeah. You know, at one point we were doing a lying down meditation. I was lying down and my feet were facing towards Buddha and someone tapped me on the shoulder and said that's disrespectful you need to lie with your feet facing away from Buddha of course I didn't want to be disrespectful mm. but it's just the kind of things that I didn't know about because I'm not a Buddhist why would I know that yeah. kind of thing um, so after so we were gonna <laughs> we were gonna stay for three nights and four days but after two nights we were like should we just leave a little bit early <laughs> um, <laughs> it was one of the greatest moments of my life when we left pretty much it was hard work yeah. so it was interesting though you know you and I bonded over the Ura ring really when we first met didn't yep. we? and I was I, yep. I was wearing the Ura ring while I was away and the Ura ring um, I'm sure your listeners know about the Ura ring already but as well as measuring sleep and fitness and health it measures heart rate and heart rate variability and my heart rate variability has never been so high as it was when I was sleeping at the monastery really yeah Interesting. So all those beautiful, I mean, the scenery was absolutely stunning. We were surrounded by nature and we'd go for walking meditations as well. Where we would follow the monks mm. around the kind of grounds of this monastery. And there was so much nature and so much lush greenery and these incredible rock formations kind of in, in the mountains, deep in the middle of nowhere. And obviously that nature and that meditation yeah. really agreed with my health. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. Well, I mean, HRV obviously for, for listeners' benefit, you, you want that number to be higher typically, don't you, yes. to lower. So that's a really interesting response. Um, we, we should track when we go down to Swansea. Mm. We're about, about Swansea and Thailand, same kind of... Uh... <laughs> Very similar. <laughs> 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 put, put the connection being we're going to spend time in nature. <laughs> but yes, f fair point calling me on that. Well, yeah. actually, actually... Well, you, you get what you can. Brief Ura geek out. Um, mm. One of the things that I found, and Faith found as well, is after about a week of being in nature every day in Thailand, and obviously we weren't at the meditation retreat for, for a month, but we were just you know, staying at beautiful natural places and spending all day outside every day. 
After about a week, I noticed my heart rate came down almost 10 points yeah. every day. And my heart rate variability went up considerably. And it stayed like that. And since I've been home, it's reverted to how it was before. Yeah, which is annoying because I feel like I do a lot of good stuff for myself. Yeah. And yet it just goes to show that, you know, all the stuff like, you know, sitting in the car in London and going to work and being surrounded by screens mm. does have a, a measurable That's impact. It's like harsh lighting. Yeah. 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 So let's come to that because I wanted to talk a bit about what you do for your health now. Yeah. One question I've got actually is, I think with people with, with their health, particularly if they've come to it from a, you know, a position of very ill health or hedonism or whatever it might be, are often running away from something and being healthy because of that. I don't want to go, I don't want to be that person again. Or they're running towards something. Which is it for you? Tell me the question again. So, <laughs> I, it, it, typically people are either running away yeah. from something, so the, the old them that they don't want to be anymore, or they're running towards something. So I'm, I'm trying to get to that next stage of health. Mm. Do you, does that make sense now? Do you know which, which applies to you? Well, definitely towards something. Right. Um, there might be a bit of perfectionism as well. You know, I mean, what's interesting, and I found it really interesting listening to you and Nick talking about addiction, because once I start to scratch the surface of my own personal health, all kinds of stuff came up. Mm. And once I started to get better physically, then I was able to start looking emotionally and mentally at the kind of patterns that hadn't served me very well. Mm. Went through some similar things, which I, I, I don't really want to talk about kind of too deeply, mm -hmm. but that has been probably the biggest change of all. Right. You know, I mean, just really delving deep into, okay, what are the, what are the things that I've been doing on repeat since I was a teenager? Yeah. And it was kind of addiction-based as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, making those changes probably means that perhaps in the past it, there was a bit of running away mm. and perhaps now there's a, a slightly more positive element to, towards, yeah. to yeah it's, it's, a, it's a hobby as well isn't it you know I mean this plant you know this plant takes very specific toxins out of the environment um, did you hear about this NASA study well, I know I'm, I know I'm veering away from talking about me and therapy and everything else but um, well, you've given us a warning sign. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, no, we can, we can, we can talk yeah. more. I just won't go into it that much. But, no, no, um, no. It's, it's fine. Uh, NASA in the 1970s sent a... They were, kept sending these um, spacemen up and they would come back and they'd get very ill and they couldn't work out why. They worked out it's because these spaceships were such an unnatural environment. There was nothing natural in there to help the air, essentially. Mm. And they did all these tests on different plants and they found 15 plants that were better for air quality than any others. Right. Um, and this is one of them. What's and, that called? Uh, I can't remember. So <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on, I've got the thing in here. I've had it for years. It started off about that tall. It's um, Sansa Vieira, maybe? Yeah, okay. So I wonder okay, if our yeah. cheese plant, we have a, we've got a cheese plant in the office, which is supposed to be very good for air quality. Oh, lovely, yeah. But yeah. it's huge. And it's, it's getting bigger and bigger. Mm. It's got like dead, the triffids in there. That's a bit like this one. Yeah. But I'm reluctant to trim nice it in any plant. way. Um, um, but yeah, just going back to the, the things that I do, you know, it was, it was really interesting delving deeper and mm. realising that I needed to. And of course now, when you've been through that process of, um, you know, therapy and everything else, you kind of... I had to try and resist the temptation to see it in other people. You need what I've had, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's been the biggest thing, coming to terms with you know, some difficult things that happened to me when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And then all the little day-to-day -day things that work really well as well, like meditation, 
low carb diet, taking the right supplements, yeah. using the Ura thing, geeking out on buying plants that grow to three times their size and yeah. so on. I think most of what we do throughout our, our days is changing how we feel, mm. either in a positive way or a negative way. Meditation is a great way of changing our physiology and how we feel about things. Alcohol abuse is not. Um, we, we go to so many lengths to, mm. to change how we feel. Yeah. That sometimes just stepping away from an addictive negative way of doing it into a positive is not that great a leap. Yeah. It's just, you know, it, it can be, but it isn't always. Um, okay. I, mean, I think that, that's a really good point, actually, because I do think that a lot of people who get, who dive deep into health and well-being, for example, um, might have some kind of addictive element to it. Yeah. There might be, it might be, yeah. I mean, you know, at a deeper level, you might say they're masking the pain of something else. Yeah. And it's, it is really important. You and I touched on that when we recorded the podcast in the Shard, didn't we? Yeah. You know, almost more than anything, working out what it, what obsessive behaviours aren't serving you and, and yeah, yeah. And then doing, doing something. Yeah. I mean, I think addiction is, is not necessarily to the substance or the behaviour, whether it's gambling or sex or alcohol or drugs, it's actually to dopamine. If you can find another way of creating that dopamine, um, that is also helpful in terms of getting out of addictive patterns of behaviour. But not cross-addicting. Right, yes. Um, so I, yeah, I said in, in the episode with Nick, which again I'll link to in the show notes, that I'd, I'd, Nick had been in rehab, I'd been in a rehab, yeah. and for two weeks you don't have access to your phone, your uh, purse, or anything really, and you don't much care at that point. By the time you've arrived in a rehab, you're like, have it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and after two weeks, you're not allowed to exercise, crucially as well. After two weeks, you're allowed to go back in the gym, but you're only allowed to go two, perhaps three times a week. Um, and it's not unsupervised, wow. as much as you're not being escorted from one machine to another. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that, with that I've never heard that expression, cross-addiction, cross but that, yeah. that you basically found another addiction to replace yeah. the booze or whatever it yeah. was. They're trying to make sure, I mean, just a two-week gap is not going to stop you doing that necessarily, but that's exactly no. what they're trying to do. Yeah. So you can't cross-addict. They also look out for codependency, so you can't kind of cross-addict onto another, and become codependent with another person. So mm. really interesting. Um, I think that is interesting, you know, I mean, it, where do you draw the line though? I mean, you commented on how many supplements I've got in my kitchen when you walked in. Um, some might argue that it's a little bit excessive. It doesn't feel like it is to me. Well, You draw I mean, your own line, I guess, don't you? Yeah. 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 And then I know that orthorexia exists where people are obsessed with the kind of clean eating and, and mm. living well. But yeah, I mean, you, you draw a line. And, yeah. uh, I'm not suggesting that you've in any way crossed that without supplement stack. It's oh, merely that yeah. Antonia yeah. has, has I feel I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. yeah. Are you? I'm growing. Yeah, you've, to be, you've yeah. taken a couple well, of pictures of mine, haven't you? Yeah. Three more that will be three going more. on. Yeah. yeah. So let's, let's talk a bit about biohacking. What does that yeah. expression mean to you? There's, there's a part of me that's not sure about the expression of biohacking. Mm. We still all right? Still recording? I think we've just, the broadcast is interrupted. Oh, yeah. Do you have enough... Uh, Do you need power? I wonder if this has died. Yeah, it might have run out of battery. It has died. Really? If you, mm. yeah, probably if it's like. <laughs> yeah. Um, biohacking, what does that term mean to you? Well, it's, you know, I, Dave Asprey insists that he invented the term biohacking. Right. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, to me, I guess it means experimentation in the pursuit of greater health, feeling better, and uh, achieving what you want to achieve. Mm. 
not sure whether I'm that mad about using that phrase biohacking. Mm. I, I don't know if I'd describe myself. I probably am a biohacker by other people's definition. Yeah. But it's just a word, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, I would say it's using science, nature, technology to improve health. Yeah. I quite like Ben Greenfield's expression, although he hasn't strictly defined this as biohacking. Better living through science. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I heard someone talk about getting sun on your face biohacking. That's not. That's just normal mm. part of human experience. Yeah. You, know, you get sun on your face, you synthesize yeah. vitamin D. Um, I think you've explained it far better than I have, and actually, that yeah, that's definitely I, I'm into all of that. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's at the intersection of all that, the little things that you can do. Supplementation, I guess, is one. Mm-hmm. Um, and what kind of things do you? What is kind of the, your, you've talked about meditation. You've talked about yeah. other aspects of a personal practice, but and we've talked a bit about supplements. Yes. Um, the Aura Ring we've mentioned as well. Is there anything else that is part of your well kit or practice or belief? Lots of stuff. <laughs> um, I'm a massive tracking geek, so not just using the Aura Ring, but um, you know, I keep various spreadsheets. Yeah. Uh, for, so at night, you've been filling out your gratitude journal. I just keep it, fill out a little um, form on my phone based on the things that I did that day and how good I felt, mm. and energy levels and stomach levels as well. You know, because the stomach was always the thing that was kind of wasn't quite right for me. Yeah. And through that, I've had some great insights. Through that, worked out that cashew nuts really don't agree with me. Hmm. You really, until I had done that, I hadn't realised every time I ate cashew nuts. And then one day I just thought, I wonder if nuts aren't agreeing with me. So I started tracking cashew nuts and then nuts in general. Hmm. Just worked out that yeah, they weren't they weren't so good. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I love doing, um, and I like to use the Ura ring at uh, the Ura ring. Obviously, we mentioned mm-hmm. uh, the Juve light, which is okay. over there. And uh, yeah, a bit of infrared light. Uh, the meditation is probably the biggest one, and then some great supplements. You know, one of the things in my tracking, one of the things that has probably worked better than any other is something you mentioned earlier on, uh, before we started recording, actually, I think. When I do exercise, my energy levels are about 6% better on any particular day. It's mm. quite a big increase. You know, mm. just if you wake up and you're not feeling 6%. good, you want, a, you want a 6% lift, go and do a workout. Yeah. So that's over a year and a half of tracking. It's pretty consistent that I feel better when I've done exercise. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. that's, that's, I mean, for me, exercise is hugely energizing. Yeah. Heat, cold, ideally mm. sunlight. Yeah. Um, daily life movement. So always sort of up and about, you know, not trying to sit down for too long, just, and surrounding myself with positive people. It's a massive one for energy. Oh, yeah. Environment. So yeah. looking at the environment, is it set up for success, for success? But is it set up? in such a way that it's clean, it's uncluttered. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got generally, you know, when people, woo big yeah. old jazz hands, yeah. but, but generally positive people in my life. The environment, I think, is absolutely crucial. That's what I'm going to be blogging about a bit later. Um, Definitely. Yeah. The, the, you know, I mean, that's, it's, a, it's an it's a often, used, often used cliche, isn't it? You are the sum of the five people that you spend the most yeah. time with. I think it was Jim Rohn the who average, said that. Yeah. The average, yeah. The average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. Well. It's kind of nonsense, that isn't it? Because it's because people quote it as if it's science, and mm. it's not at mm. all. And yet, it's kind of true as well, you know. Because when you're around someone who feels good, um, you feel good as well. Mm. And if you uh, sometimes I'm when I'm with one of my friends whose wife or husband is particularly naggy, I think, oh, yeah, that must grind you down, mate. <laughs> and then you know, so so it really does matter who you spend time yeah, with. I'm just not right. sure about that. You know, the average of the five people you spend the most time with, but the theory behind it. It's is a great right. soundbite because I hear it all the time and yeah. I've quoted it myself. Yeah. Um, 
I think energy, energy comes from connection as well. I mean, this was something yeah. I said when we recorded at the Shard a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, that you get you get energy through the connections. You know, the richness of life comes in your personal relationships. I mm. think, and that's so important for energy. If you don't have that connection with other people, and that can just be a, a room full of biohackers, which is why I first met you. You know, you've got, everyone's got that connection to a different degree. Yeah. We're interested in tracking, monitoring, experimenting in, with a common goal to improve our health and longevity and performance. Yeah. So I think that's hugely energizing. I um, think that's an interesting point. You know, I mean, I, I, I love living here in central London. Um, part of me would love to live in a slightly more natural setting where I can hear the birds tweeting in the morning and I've yeah. got a little bit of green space outside. And yet, you know, I work at Sky, I work every weekend. I was working yesterday, for example. I've got a Monday off. <laughs> if I was stuck in the middle of the country with no one around, um, I think I might miss that connection that comes from being 10 minutes down the road from you and then being able to meet a mate for a coffee in the morning and going out with a friend for dinner yeah. and just being so flexible because I've got connection all around the place. Yeah. So it's a, it's a trade-off, isn't it, between connection and nature, both of which I find are very helpful yeah. for me. Well, I mean, I occasionally go out to Kent and do a hike out in the countryside and that's a 50-minute drive. So yeah. actually we're not in South London, which is where we're recording from, where we both live. Mm. We're not that far away. You've got Swansea. That's I've got, I've got Swansea this summer. <laughs> You've got Swansea this summer. I'm really looking forward to hearing what happens in Swansea. I don't know why you want to go to Thailand. It's much <laughs> <laughs> What's happening in Swansea? It just sounds amazing. Uh, a friend is, is letting us have his house for a week. Oh, lovely. So and last year we did a whole ton of travel, yeah. uh, my partner and I, and this year we've moved, we've bought a house. We're just settling down and we okay. just go for yeah. a staycation in Swansea. Yeah, perfect. Which I am actually really looking forward to. Yeah. You know, you've got the, the Breckens, which I love. Oh, lovely, yeah. You've got the beaches yeah. and everything else. So it's getting it's that reconnecting with nature, which is what I'm really looking forward to, rather than Swansea per se. But the nature thing, you know, and it goes back to when I was measuring the heart rate variability on the Oura Ring, you know. Yeah. That was, I think, mainly meditation and nature. Yeah, and the, yeah, the air quality and everything else that was all mm. part of that. Um, a few... Quick fire questions then, and then we're gonna bit of quick fire. Bit of quick fire. Was it, so uh, actually, it's not that quick fire. Okay, it's not that quick. So fire. I can be quick fire or slow fire because <laughs> I'm not very good at quick fire. Okay, I like to expand. Then what's the next big thing gonna be in in this sort of not the biohacking necessarily, but the health, fitness, yeah. nutrition, well-being space? What do you think it's gonna be? Well, I think it's really interesting. I was showing you that supplement that I've been taking called Restore. Yep. Which I think is fascinating. For people who haven't heard about this, it is a supplement that is essentially made out of dirt. Um, it all sounds a bit woo-woo when you first start to read about it. The theory being that uh, our soil is not what it used to be. All the nutrients have been kind of depleted out of the food that we eat. And uh, there's not a decent environment in our stomach in which uh, beneficial bacteria of all different strains can grow. Mm. So you, you, you basically, drink a little bit of soil and it starts to make your stomach better. Now, I'd probably not explain that in a very technical way. The reviews for this product are absolutely astonishing and it comes from a very scientific perspective. They've tested this stuff over and over again for about the last 10 years. I've started taking it and I'm not, I, I, it feels like it's doing something, mm. but I'm, I've got an open mind for the next few months. It strikes me that this might be something that is incredibly helpful for people. Okay. Mm. And I think to expand on that, the whole area of gut health, uh, we're talking to a part, potential partner at the moment that's trying to produce a gut test that is a simplified stool test. Mm. So it's less messy, less complicated. It's going to be about £100 with a report that consumers can easily interpret for themselves okay. or they can yeah. get an expert to help them. 
and it will look at the prevalence of certain bacteria, good and bad, and your overall diversity. Mm. And I think gut health is definitely going to be, for, from my perspective, the next big thing. Um, what's the most under? By the way, have you tried uh, Viome? No, Viome. But I want to. Yes. Being Jane, um, I want to. I'm slightly. I've heard a couple of comments in a forum that we're both in on yeah. Facebook. Well, I, I said that, that I wasn't that impressed by it, didn't I? Yeah, well, that's you. what you did. Yeah, and I've since slightly changed my opinion. Okay. It's just they give you a lot of data and it's raw data. There's a lot to kind of comprehend and I don't think they help you navigate it very well. But actually, it gave me one very interesting bit of information that I've acted on. Okay. So, yeah, I was like, oh, you've got 33% of this specific strain of bacteria in your gut that other people on average only have 2% of. Oh, well, that sounds like it might be worth investigating. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. um, sounds quite similar to what your friend's doing. And if your friend's able to do it like that, I think simplifying a stool test has got to be good yes, news. Yes, it has got to be good yeah. news. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they're doing anything on the same scale as, as biome, but I don't know. But I think that's just a fascinating area. Mm. You know, the, the, the gut being perhaps the, the centre of uh, command and control mm. uh, as opposed to the brain. Um, we know that, that gut health can, in, can influence things like autism, depression, MS. Yeah. Crohn's disease, ulcerative yeah, colitis, yeah. asthma, eczema. I think that's going to be a fascinating um, definitely, area. Definitely. What What's the the one thing that's out there already that you think people are undervaluing or missing? Uh, in terms of a technique or a supplement, yeah, anything, or anything you think you know, there aren't enough people doing this. It's amazing. I think once you dive into this stuff, I, th I sometimes find it a little frustrating that I think technology is moving at such an advanced rate, way ahead of conventional medicine, mm. that when I speak to one of my colleagues who, for instance, only gets five hours sleep a night, as I did yesterday, and she's so frustrated and so livid by it, um, there are so many things out there that might help her. Mm. But actually, I th maybe she doesn't know where to look, or maybe she just not interested in looking because I mentioned a couple of things but she wasn't really that interested mm. so all that stuff is out there I think and I feel like I mean stuff like this restore for example and the, and the jube light and um, the it's a balance between technology what's what is modern and what is ancient isn't it I mean yeah. you know really most of these technological things that really help seem to be taking us back towards a natural state anyway yeah but, um, but yeah, it strikes me there's a lot of info out there that people don't necessarily take advantage of, mm. whether they don't know about it or not, which is a bit of a frustration. Yeah, yeah. Cool, um, what's next for you? Well, I am meeting my friend Dr. Steve tonight, and we're looking at uh, creating a couple of NLP courses, which is really exciting, I've never done that before. Uh, but we both, we met on our trainer training, so that's the highest level that you can train in in NLP, and mm. he's got the advantage of being a medical doctor as well. Um, and he works a lot with poker players on um, increasing, well, actually increasing their winnings. But funnily enough, they don't talk about poker at all when he works with them. It's a kind of real niche that he's developed. Um, he works on meditation and lifestyle improvements and chilling out a little bit more and kind of letting go mm. and, and general health as well. And he worked with this guy who was, you know, one of the most famous players in the world, but had never won what they call a major, a TV major. And then a few weeks after he started working with, he won a million dollars on, on online or on TV or whatever it was. So we're looking at creating a couple of NLP courses, which 
I'm really excited about and maybe some stuff to do with, you know, we mentioned addiction briefly, mm. but I think tech addiction, digital addiction mm. is so hard for us all, even for people who aren't necessarily com- have addictive personalities. The, the companies that are doing stuff best, like Facebook, for example, it's easy to bash Facebook, but we might as well use them. They have got so many thousands of designers and engineers yeah. making it so addictive. Yeah. And there's just us on the other side of the screen. It's hard to put it down, isn't it? Yeah. So, so maybe that. But I know we are broadcasting on Facebook Live at the moment, so I don't want to slag off Facebook too much. <laughs> no, we best not. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's great. Um, I will link to your so your podcast is Estology. Yeah. Your website's TonyWhiten.com. Mm. Your books can be found on Amazon. Is there any other way you want people to, to connect with you or contact no, you? No, that's it. Thank you yeah. so much for having me on. It's Pleasure. been really lovely to chat to you and share ideas. And I've got a little list of things I want to go and check out after talking to you. So. Cool. Thanks mm. very much, Tony. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, help us to reach more people by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate that and it would help us to spread the good word even further. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the next show.